0: Well, good morning, everybody. So glad to see you. So glad that you're here, and so glad that you're watching. If you're watching online, I think today the best way to start is to ask you to imagine uh, that you are a religious leader that lots and lots of people come to to help have help with their spiritual lives. You've you've been quite taken all your life with God and getting to know God and understanding the scriptures. It's not like a holier than thou kind of thing. It's more that you just simply want to sort of drink it all in and take it all in as much as possible. But even for you, something happens that you just can't unsee. You came across a scripture that says that God has promised in some way, shape, or form to be with us, that God is going to come in human form in some way to this earth and to your people into the the, the the people that are seeking you out into you and it's not that you hadn't seen that verse before you'd seen it many times before, but now there's a difference a major difference is that there's a man who is saying things and doing things and working in the physical realm in ways that you can't deny that Maybe this is the one. And you begin to ask yourself, do I I dare even think in this direction? I mean, you you keep watching him and watching him. You're not sleeping very well. And then you can't believe it, but the thought comes into your head. Maybe I should go talk to him and ask him. Because, you see, that's a big risk. And all the accoutrements of your life that you and your wife uh, share together... All the, the, the career that you've made for yourself, all the people looking up to you, and it's over, it's a big risk that that could all go away. But the pressure gets to be too great. And so he puts out the word, he sends through his people to this other man's people hey, I want to meet with the teacher, I want to meet with the rabbi. And so you set up this meeting at night to stay hidden, but you set up the meeting. And that actually is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus we're going to look at today is a story that's sort of uh, overused and uh, it's sort of uh, been, been used in some crazy ways and, and some, to the point that there's some verses in it that have been used so often that people don't really pay attention to them anymore. Uh, but the reality is, is that Nicodemus is all of us. We all come to the point of Nicodemus. Even in a world that seems to reject the spiritual world and yet still wants to claim our own version of spirituality all at the same time. Have you noticed that? And we're a world that says, nah, there can't be a God. But at the same time, everybody wants to say, hey, but I'm spiritual. And you can only keep that up for so long because at some point you reach a point where things start to unravel and it's very unnerving, quite frankly. And that's the story of Nicodemus. That's the story of many of us in our lives who've tried to, who had tried to pretend that it wasn't really real and, and that Jesus wasn't, wasn't all that and that maybe he was a good teacher and all that and then all of a sudden we come face to face with some reality that we can't deny and all of a sudden, okay, I think I might have been wrong and the, the, so something happens there. You see, the point about this is John over and over again, we're in the Gospel of John, John over and over again is talking about this thing called believe, believe, believe. And we we use that word all the time now. It's been sort of watered down to things that go on shopping bags at Christmas kind of thing. And and so so what does that mean to believe? Well, it, it means more according to what we're going to see Jesus say today. It means more than just simply acknowledging the fact. It means more than just acknowledging, yes, God is real. It's much more personal, and it's much more transformative And it's much more, dare I say, intersectional than that. We hear a lot about intersectionality today. But that's all small potatoes compared to this intersectional experience, if in fact God has intersected our object the objective reality of our world. And we've been told from the Old Testament that this and from the prophecies of Scripture there. That this was going to be a reality. That this was going to be true. We don't know if this was the verse or a verse that uh, ne- uh, Nicodemus ran across. He certainly, he, he certainly knew it. Uh, but if Isaiah 55 says, "Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call on him while he is near." You see, that implies that there are parts of life. There is moments in life when the veil is thinner for us. It's never. It's never that G- Jesus, that the God isn't here. It's just that there are these moments in life where he's nearer from our perspective. And he's saying, hey, seek the Lord while he's near, during those moments, during those opportunities. And the other thing that that implies is, he's implying that not only is that a one, not a one and done kind of thing where you pray the prayer, you become a Christian, okay, off your merry way. No, it's something that's supposed to happen over and over and over again. I think that's where we're gonna see Jesus go with Nehemiah. So I encourage you with all of that uh, to open your Bibles to, to John chapter 3 and try to hear this story maybe for the first time with all the, without all the other things that you've assumed about it, all the other verses you've um, and all the memorized, verses, or all the phrases that are in here that you, you've, you recognize. Try to hear it as if you're Nicodemus hearing this from Jesus for the first time. And, and I want you to understand that there's a context here that's really important. It's the context of a faith journey. We hear a lot about that today, too, don't we? Well, my faith journey, my spiritual journey, we hear that from the internet influencers, we hear that from the celebrities, we hear that from all kinds of people. But... What this is talking about is, is a con, in the context of Jesus clearing the temple like we saw last week, only God Jesus isn 't just clearing out the temple and you know, making god 's place a holy place again. he 's not just doing that as we saw last week, he 's making a shift he 's making a change that god 's abiding place in this world is no longer a building it 's no longer a tent as it was when the uh, Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness for forty years it 's no longer a physical place as much as it is you and me and our hearts and our lives and our bodies, that's the temple of God now where God will descend. That's the context with which John tells us this story about Nicodemus. See what you think, beginning at verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. Now, I just got to stop there. When he says, we know, is, is Nicodemus saying, you know, um, is he trying to sort of diffuse and, and, uh, and, and, and pretend that other people are asking this question so it's not all focused on him? Or is he saying that there are others who would be here that are questioning whether or not you're the one from God also, but they're just chicken. I think it's the second one. I think there were others among the religious scribes and leaders and Pharisees and maybe some of his students were starting to say, who is this guy really? But I digress. Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's seeing some signs, something in objective reality here. And Jesus responded to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus says something there at the end in verse 3 that he's going to say three times. And it's supposed to alert us that he wants to teach us something. And it's supposed to alert Nicodemus that Jesus wants to tell him the truth about something. It's truly, truly. Those words together. It's, in the Greek language, it's amen, amen. Did you know that was a Greek? Language, you say it all the time. You speak Greek. Amen, amen. Truly, truly. It's sort of a way of saying pay attention or what my mom did. I don't know if your mom did this, but my mom would grab the sides of my face trying to tell me the truth about how it ought to be. And she'd say, look at me, Dwayne. And my eyes would go, although I didn't want to meet her eyes, you know. But look at me, listen now. I got to tell you some truly, truly. That's what Jesus is trying to do. And that's an alert to, to Nicodemus to, hey, wake up, pay attention. You know, and there's a sort, of, sort of this moment of, now I'm going to tell you the truth. Why does Jesus do that? The reason Jesus has to do that is because sometimes we just don't get him. Nicodemus is seeing Jesus through the wrong lens. He's seeing Jesus as something that is less than he truly is. You see, Nicodemus and his friends they, who studied the Bible, they expected a divine Messiah to come. They just didn't think it was going to be somebody that, who wouldn't take on the Romans. They didn't think it was somebody who, who, who was going to go in here and conquer what was going on inside of us, but that it, it would be somebody that would conquer what's going on out here. And so Jesus is trying to say, okay, pull up here. Wait, let me, let me tell you what, what's really going on here. Your question, uh, it can't be answered the way you think it can be answered, in other words. And you see, we need that too, don't we? Isn't that how we become Christians? All of a sudden, oh, I never thought of it that way before. I never thought of him that way before. Isn't that kind of how, how, how that works? It, it's, it's, um, it can be illustrated. I want to illustrate it, uh, and I want to be careful how I illustrate this, because I want to illustrate it about, by telling you about a dream I had one time. And I want to be careful to say this dream wasn't Scripture and this dream wasn't uh, prophecy or anything, but, but I had this friend. His name was um, Chris. And uh, we had become very close friends in a short period of time of only seven years. And, and, and uh, the thing is, I'd prayed all my adult life that God would give me friends, men friends, who we would kind of grow old together with and so forth and so on. And, and uh, I ran across this, this guy. And, and the thing is, guess what? He was a, a C.S. Lewis geek too. Oh, well, actually, he wasn't the, I was the geek. He was actually a scholar, He was was a a theologian and a a theology prof, but as well a director of of some theological studies around C.S. Lewis, and um, he and I would would get together and we'd talk, and and one thing about Chris is he always wanted to talk about eternity, because he he just, he loved talking about it. I mean, he would have friends that he would have terminal illnesses, and he'd go to them with books and stuff and say, hey, look at this, this is what eternity is like, and so forth, And, and he actually encouraged people with that. And, and so he and I we would always talk about eternity so we had this little pact it was something that C.S. Lewis had done too uh, with, uh, or, or something that sort of borders on what C.S. Lewis thought he had experienced, because C.S. Lewis had a friend who had died uh, suddenly, unexpectedly, by the name of Charles Williams, and then about a year, year and a half later, he thought he saw some sign of this friend uh, coming back or, or, or in a dream or something saying, hey, you know, I'm okay, everything's good, and I'll see you when you get here kind of stuff. That's me paraphrasing what actually happened. But, so we had this little pact that says, if one of us goes before the other, there's something that nobody else knows about that, and don't try this at home because this is not biblical. I'm just saying this is what we did, okay, as pastors and spiritual teachers. But anyway, we said, hey, this is, this is how you're going to get in touch with me. If it's possible to get a message back, say something or make something about this thing, this event that happened to us, this thing that happened, and, and what was said and so forth, and, and you know, then, we'll, then, then we'll know that it's real, it's, it's really real. Thing is, is my friend died in 2014. He suddenly, too, He was hiking in the Rockies with one of his, with his son-in-law and some others, and he just heart exploded. And uh, man, that, was, that blew my mind, but, you know, um, yeah, that was just, that was heavy. But about 10 months later, I'm just kind of starting to come out of all that heaviness. Spring of 2015, I had a dream in the late hours of uh, the early morning, and uh, it was a very vivid dream. It was one of those dreams where I actually thought I was there, right? Have you had those? Like, you know the colors, you know exactly what you see, you know the features on people's faces, stuff like It was that vivid to me. And... Uh, it was at a hotel that i have been to probably 30, 40 times, because our denomination has pastoral meetings there all the time. I'm on the board now. We have board meetings there sometimes, uh, uh, many times. So I've probably been there 30 or 40 times. And it's, and it, the, the, the dream took place at the end of the hallway of the conference center of this, this hotel. And it was on a padded uh, bench that they have down there at the end uh, next to some windows. And I'm down there and uh, just kind of sitting down for a minute. And all of a sudden, up walks Chris, my friend. and I said, Chris, how are you doing? It's good to see you. Oh, man. He said, oh, yeah, it's great. I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, I'm here to tell you everything's okay and to hurry up and get up here. You know, that, 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 so we're back and forth and talking about that and all those stuff. We, we talked about eternity. It's all true and all that kind of stuff. And, and then all of a sudden, a couple of other friends of mine walked up couple of their pastor friends. This was a pastor's conference. And, and I said, hey, Russ, Paul, look, this is, this is my friend Chris. And they look at Chris, and they look at me, and they look at Chris, and they go, Dwayne, there's nobody there. Are you okay? I, to, I, said, I looked at Chris. I said, they can't see you. He says, of course they can't see you. I'm not here for them. I'm here for you. And then I woke up. Is that a, is that a message from God? Was that a message from Chris from eternity? Okay. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, mean, I don't, I don't want to tear down. I'm just... I'm just saying, uh, you know, Sharon had the best answer because I woke up and she heard me stirring and she said, hey, what's up? And I told her about the dream. She says, well, at least you know it's a God sent. At least God let you dream it so that, you know, you could be encouraged. So, oh yeah. But to think, the point of that whole thing is that dream illustrates what I think goes on for us many times and what's going on for Nicodemus. It's that we don't have the eyes to see. And this is a theme in the New Testament. We've talked about uh, thing, verses from the Apostle Paul, for example, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, I'm praying that the, eye, that, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Are our hearts enlightened? Just generally speaking in the culture in the world today, are human hearts, generally speaking, enlightened? I mean, we just went through the Enlightenment 250, 280 years ago. So we think we're enlightened, but you know, I'm starting to suspect that we're not any more enlightened than people 300, 400, 500 years ago. We're certainly a more disenchanted than they were. But Paul is praying, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, what? Know what, Paul? The hope which you've been called, the riches of his glorious inheritance and the holy, his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Notice he's pro- who he's talking to. He's talking to the Christians in Ephesus. He's not talking to a bunch of wild-eyed pagans out there. He's talking to Christians. Really? Are these people saved? Well, Yeah, they are saved for eternity. But he's saying your eyes are, you haven't been enlightened to all the reality of who Jesus is with you day to day. You see, what Jesus is trying to do for Nicodemus and what he's trying to do for us, I think all the time, and especially cultural moments and moments in history like the one we're in right now, is he's trying to fix our eyes. Because we need our eyes fixed. The eyes of our hearts, as Paul would say. We need those change so that we can actually see him and the reason I say that this is what Jesus is doing with Nicodemus and what he wants to say with us is because of two phrases that he uses in this truly truly statement in verse three he says truly truly you must be born again what does that mean have you heard that too many times try to forget all the times you heard that I mean we've heard it to the point where it's boring it's sort of like boring again that's not. That's not what this means. You know, it, we get so it's been deconstructed and twisted around. I mean, he, and granted, it's a confusing phrase. Nicodemus was confused. He said, "Boy, that sounds gross." You know, you're gonna see that in a minute. But but it, it, what does that mean? Well, the word "born again." The word "again" can mean. A second time, again, like we would think. Or it can mean born from above, however you want to play it. But I don't, I don't think we need to parse that too much and, 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 and uh, you know, figure out exactly how that means. Because I think what Jesus is trying to say is, what you need is this, to understand and to see that there is such a thing as the intersection... Between divine reality, the divine story of the gospel, and the objective reality of your life, there is an intersection between God and the objective reality of your life. That's what you got to see. That's how you become a Christian. Have you noticed that? Christians are those who have experienced that miracle, and it is a miracle because we got nothing to do with it. There's no way that we could have pulled that off to somehow see God on our own. But I mean, in our own objective reality, I mean, if you're, as a Christian, which is probably most of you here, when you became a Christian, was it something that you just decided, you know, I'm going to research this out and then I'm going to do it? Most of it is not. It's like, boy, I didn't wake up today thinking I was going to do that. Because God suddenly interjects. There is this intersectional experience that goes with it. And what Jesus is saying is, in order for you to understand the answer to your question, Nicodemus, you're going to have to have your eyes fixed and open so you can see that that's what this is. This intersectional um, experience where God intersects our world and where it intersects your life. And the thing is, what I think he's trying to say is it's meant to happen more often than we think. Because he says, unless this happens, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you won't be able to see the kingdom of God. In other words, you won't be able to see this other world. I mean, that's the hard part about talking about this is because God's world really isn't another world that's separate radically from ours. No, we're, we're already in his world. He is, he, he is the God of the universe. So we're, we just think our world is that big a deal, but it's really a little bubble of it. But every once in a while, he, 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 he lets us see. He open, pulls back the curtain. He breaks into our world. And that's what Jesus is saying is, and unless, you're, unless you're born again, unless you've been transformed by me, you're not gonna see it. You're not going to understand the answer to your question. So that's something, yes, that's going on and on. And there's one more thing I need to highlight here. When he says, truly, truly, I say that you you must be born again. When he's talking about, when, when he uses the word you in here, guess what it is? It's a plural you. In other words, God isn't just taking on Nicodemus here. Jesus isn't taking on Nicodemus. Jesus is taking on humanity here. He's looking to transform humanity, all people. It's a plural you. We really don't have a good thing in English. I mean, the closest I've come to it in my life is when I lived in Alberta, Canada, and we talked about you guys, you know? But this is a, it's, it's not just him. He said, none of you on this earth are going to get this You're, until your eyes have been opened by me so that you can see the intersection between the gospel's reality and the historic reality of your life interjected. That's where this thing starts, but look where it goes. Nicodemus takes another bite at the apple, but the question is, is it the right apple? Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born when he is old? Decent question in my mind. He cannot re-enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? Ooh. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, if you're an underliner, you might want to underline the and the capital S of spirit there. We'll come back to that in a second. He cannot enter the kingdom of God unless this happens, born of water and spirit. That which has been born of flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it is coming from or where and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus, look at the end there. He, Jesus uses an Old Testament. He has a truly, truly statement. But in order to illustrate this truly, truly statement, which we'll come back to, he uses this Old Testament story. He uses this Old Testament description of this wind coming in to a person's life. Now, what's he talking about? Because you and I look at that and we go, well, we're not, you know, is that really an Old Testament reference? And Nicodemus would have said, absolutely, yes, it is. Here's why. The Hebrew word, which the Old Testament was written in, ruach, means wind, spirit, or breath. And Nicodemus was familiar with the breath of God. And oh, by the way, the, God, the New Testament was written in Greek, and John is writing this in Greek, and the, the New Testament word in Greek for spirit is pneuma, like pneumatology or the pneumatic nail gun that I have at home that's really cool because you pull the trigger and bam, it goes in the wood. Powerful stuff. But that pneuma also can mean, the, Greek or Hebrew, doesn't matter, breath, wind, or Spirit. And so Nicodemus would have heard this word and he would have gone to the uh, uh, 37th chapter of Ezekiel. Why? Because that's one of the famous places in the Old Testament where the wind or the breath of God sweeps down, down into the valley of what is called the valley of the dry bones, or you might say the culture of death. Dry bones, skeletons. And what happens when the breath of God touches those bones? They stand up and start dancing and get connected and flesh is put on on all that kind of stuff. Do you remember that story? You should read it. It's crazy. Put that in a Spielberg movie. But what that's trying to tell us and what Nicodemus would have figured out is that When God's breath, when his spirit, when his wind comes sweeping and comes in contact with human existence, life comes back. That's what Jesus is saying. And so he's trying to say to him, he says, look, there is a spiritual reality. And yes, it overlaps in your world, but you just can't see it. So you need your eyes fixed, but you need this other world too. We need a new world. We need to see that our world can be made new. The deadness of our world, we need to see that it can be made new and made alive again. Nicodemus would have understood this because he, he knew his Bible. He knew all, all, those, all those Old Testament passages. And, and, and so what Jesus is saying is, is, look, I can breathe new life into your life, but you got to be born again for this to happen. That's what we're talking. So don't be blown away by this. He says, you know, truly, truly, Uh, I I say to you that unless someone is born of water and spirit, what does that mean? Well, first of all, understand this. In verse 6, it says The Spirit, capital S. That means Holy Spirit, no doubt. Verse 8, it says The Spirit. That means Holy Spirit, no doubt. But in verse 5, it it says this this thing about The Spirit and and, and NIV, ESV, uh, New American Standard, which I'm quoting from here. All of them have the same translation of verse 5 of the truly, truly. But in the the New American Standard, you can see, if you have that, that it's the 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 for spirit is in italics. Why is it in italics? Because if the word isn't in the original language, they put it in italics because they want you to know they added it. My view is is what Jesus is trying to say to Nicodemus is, is that you could leave that the out and you could make the S a small s. The other two times, definitely it's the Holy Spirit. In our denomination, we call it the Holy Spirit, the blazing center. I said that because our president is here today. I want him to know that because I, I hear, I listen. And that's a good center. Because that, I think, is exactly what Jesus is trying to say. The spiritual life, the spiritual world isn't out there distant somewhere. It's here now, and it's every single day. We, as, um, we as Christians, have a worldview that life isn't just body. And emotions. We, we as Christians know that it's body, soul, and spirit. It's body and spiritual. It's, it's physical and spiritual. And you can't radically separate all those. Every single day is the miracle of the spirit interacting with the, with the physical world for us, if we really believe what Jesus is teaching. And that's exactly what he's teaching. To be born of water and of spirit, to be born the first time physically, what's he talking about? Probably amniotic fluid. Water breaks, you're born. And and, and then he says, but you also got to be born of spirit if you're going to get this. Small s. That there is a spiritual realm out there. And the way that happens is by the Holy Spirit, capital S in your life. Not just one and done. But every day. See, Jesus is going from this thing of this intersectional experience between eternity and your objective reality of your daily life to saying, it's not just a one-time thing. This can happen again for you, Nicodemus. This can happen again for you people in the 21st century. It can be an ongoing thing that happens with you. But you need the eyes to see, and you need that world that you so desperately long for. You need to be able to see it. And so Jesus sort of lands the plane with him after Nicodemus asks one more question. It's more of a broad question. It's more of a, can you really think I can believe this stuff? Look at verse 9. Nicodemus responded and said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, you are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? In other words, Nicodemus, you've studied the Old Testament. Didn't you see the whole thing is pointing to this moment right here? Didn't you get that? Here's another truly, truly, a third truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, okay? I think Jesus maybe is playing with Nicodemus here a little bit because how did Nicodemus approach Jesus? We know that you are from God. And I think Jesus is saying, we know. Who's the we? <laughs> Probably the Trinity. But he's saying, yeah, oh yeah, well, we know uh, what we have seen and we, 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 we uh we speak of what we have seen, but you don't believe our testimony. Verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe them, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the, he who is descended from heaven and the Son of Man, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in Him. What does that mean, eternal life in Him? Well, we're going to pick that up next week because you know it shows up after this because the most famous verse in the history of the world that's uh, all over the place, including football game end zones, is the next verse. But we're not going to go into eternal life in more detail than just say this. What Jesus is saying is that intersectionality, that kind of life, or God intersects your life, that, happens, that can happen on an ongoing basis, on in, not just in eternity, but starting with eternal life that starts now, going forward. And the reason we know this is because Jesus, again, uses an Old Testament example. At the end there, he's, he's, he's giving an Old Testament example of the truly, truly he's just said when he talks about this serpent being raised up. What in the world is that? Well, Nicodemus would know. It's Numbers chapter 21 where the Israelites are out in the desert and they're complaining against God and they're rebelling against God again. So God allows these serpents, these vipers to come along and they're biting people and people are dying. And so God says to Moses, we'll put a bronze serpent up on a stick and anybody who can gets bit can look at this serpent and, and I'll heal them and they won't die. And, and uh, that's exactly what Jesus is referring to. By the way, this is one of those moments in terms of understanding the Old Testament. We have to be careful with this. We don't see Jesus under every rock in the Old Testament, although the whole thing points to him. But there's this thing called typology. That's a, that's a type, uh, a symbolic representation of what Jesus was going to do when he was put on a, a stick, when he was put on a tree. That we can look to him and believe in him and be saved and be healed from our sin. And and the darkness that is in us. So yes, it is all of that. But he's using this to illustrate the reality of heavenly things, as he says, intersecting with earthly things. Uh, Look, and he says, truly, truly, in other words, pay attention. I'm just telling you what I've seen and what I know, what I'm experiencing right now. And at some level, you too can experience it, Nicodemus. You and you and you and you and you and me, we can all experience this on a regular basis. You see, when he says then that born again phrase, he's saying that born again is the intersection of what actually happens in my life and God's saving story. So what Jesus is saying in summary here is this that this, there is a reality to the eternity intersecting our lives, but it's not a one and done thing. It's not just the miracle of conversion. It's not just the miracle of when I have my eyes opened enough to see Jesus and follow him. It's the miracle of following him in, the, uh, in the, uh, over time and following him daily and daily and seeing that on a regular daily basis. That's what it is. But here's the kicker. It's not just the one and done. This is the truly, truly. It's not just I pray the prayer and I'm done. It's that he wants to do that every single day of our lives. Not, maybe not at the same level every single day because we couldn't take it. You know, if, if, if I had a conversion experience every single day where I saw Jesus that close, and then I'd drive off the road or something. But, but he's saying that, hey, I am there. And it can be more and more frequent that you recognize that you are living an intersection between the eternal and the earthly, that that's happening for you, that that's what you're living in right now, that that's the reality. And you know what's also important for us to see and recognize? You don't see this in the press. You don't see this in... in, uh, the world very much because it's just not PC anymore to admit that Christianity is reality. We're supposed to keep it in here in these church-building things. But the reality is is that it's happening around us all the time. I was thinking about this this week when I was prepping this message. You know, over the last 70 or 80 years, there's been some world-class, world-famous, let's put it that way, intellectuals who are either atheists or certainly not Christians who have very publicly become Christians. Decade after decade, generation after generation, if you might say. The first one, I I was thinking, it 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 probably goes back further than that, but this is, of course, you're gonna know why I think about this one, but the first one happened in the early 1930s by this guy named C.S. Lewis. You ever heard of him? C.S. Lewis, writer of the uh, Chronicles of Narnia. He, uh, in the early 30s, about four or five years before that, he had started to feel like God was after him. He had read a book by G.K. Chesterton, and he just felt like, man, I can't, uh, I don't want to think about that. He just felt like somebody was after him. And uh, uh, he, 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 before that, had been an avowed atheist, and he'd actually written some atheistic poems and stuff that had gotten published. It was becoming quite known around the Oxford area anyway at that point. But then in the early 1930s, he was on a walk with J.R.R. Tolkien. You heard of him, the writer of The Lord of the Rings. And Tolkien just basically said to him, said, look, he says, you love all the old stories of, of uh, you know, dying and rising gods, all those myths and stuff. You love that stuff because that's part of your academic work. You study it all the time and you, you just get a real charge out of that story. But the one story you don't get a charge out is the one that might be true. And that's the gospel. See, Tolkien was an authentic Christian himself. The gospel, because if it's true, then that probably means that God can demand your life. And that bugged C.S. Lewis. Oh, that bugged him. In fact, it was a week later or so that he was in his rooms by himself at at Magdalen College, Oxford. And he said, I I got down on my knees and I asked Christ into my life. But he says, but I was the most reluctant convert in all of England. Because God had been after me. And what he saw was this intersection between the objective reality of his life and eternity. The divine, God, had entered his world. About 10 years later, there was another famous atheist named C.E.M. Jode. He debated C.S. Lewis. I don't know if this had anything to do with it, but about two years later, he admitted that he was a Christian publicly. About in the 50s or 60s, I don't know when it was, but there was this particularly acerbic journalist who said some really nasty things about people. He would never get away with that today. We would jump on him and cancel him. His name was Malcolm Muggridge. He too saw this intersection and in the, in the reality that God must be real and I've been denying all this time, he becomes a Christian. And he became nicer, although he could still send out a zinger. About the 70s or 80s, I don't know when it was, but a, uh, another world-famous uh, atheist named Anthony Flew came to Christ. Same reason. I couldn't deny the reality of the historic Jesus and that he, was, uh, uh, that he had risen from the dead. Boom. And you know what's happening today? I'm reading stories in the, in the news all the time, but there's one particular story that's gotten a hold of me over the last couple of weeks because one of my kids sent me the video of a guy named Jordan Peterson. Now, if you haven't heard of Jordan Peterson, Jordan Peterson is a psychology professor at the University of Toronto. He's uh, what the New York Times calls the most influential intellectual of our time, but I don't think they're happy about it because he's, he's very conservative, okay, and uh, this is a good lesson for us as Christians who are Bible-believing and would consider ourselves conservative to realize that when a person is a secular conservative, because I don't think he's a Christian yet, I'm going to tell you about that in a second, but Jordan Peterson uh, is a secular conservative, and when, when that happens, then, you know, we have to be careful as Christians not to just jump on the bandwagon because there's some things that we can't buy into. And some of the things, in, in Peterson's case, are this, sometimes he's controversial and he says things a little more harshly than I think he should. But part of the problem is, is the alt-right says, hey, he's our guy. And Peterson says, no, 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 I'm not your guy. And the leftists, the far left, say, oh, we hate that guy. In fact, he's shown up as a bad guy in one of the comic books in the uh, Captain America series. It, just, it was just stupid. But anyway, he, uh, both the alt-right and the lefties are wrong. The extreme leftists are wrong. Okay, Both the extremes are wrong. But, so we don't, we don't take all that. But that's not the point. The point is that Peterson is an honest questioner. He's a Nicodemus in our time. Because in this video that was sent to me, he says this. He says, the thing that's really gotten a hold of me, and he says, I can't believe I'm believing this, but I think I do. That Jesus, being the historical person that we can prove actually existed, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like the stuff that happened, certainly the crucifixion, and probably all the other stuff too, that had actually happened... He says every time, once in a while, the narrative, in this case the gospel narrative, and the objective reality of our lives touch. And at that point in the video, he starts to break down and he chokes up and he has to pause. And he says, because I can't believe I'm believing this. He says, I, I, it's, it's almost too much because it, 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 it terrifies me. Because if Jesus is really real and I believe in it, what does that mean about my life? It's going to be different. And how is it going to be different? i got no control over it. I'm just being honest here. Isn't that amazing? I mean, here's a person who is, is honest enough to, to share all that. But as I watch that video, i got to tell you, it choked me up too. It's why, you know, you see me at Easter or when we give invitations and people come to Christ and say, Hey, I want to, I want to get serious with Jesus and so forth, you know, and raise their hands. Why I choke up? maybe you don't notice because I'm getting really good at hiding it. But of all the mess and the pain that we've made in this culture, in this world, to see the intersection happen, it's just like, it just, it just doesn't get any more thrilling and shocking and world-shaking than that. So it's tears of joy in my case. But that's, it's happening all around us. We have Nicodemus' all around us. All of us, if we're Christians, have been at Nicodemus's point. I mean, look at Nicodemus' pattern. Nicodemus's pattern is, he can't believe that he's really believing it, but, he, but he's seen something in his life that he can't explain, and he can't unsee it, and he knows that there is an atmosphere of reality to the gospel story, a la the narrative, the story, but he can't quite see Jesus yet. But you know, by the end of the book of John, he does, because he risks his life and risks his reputation with Joseph of Arimathea to bury Jesus' body. And boy, howdy, do I—we don't know what happened when he showed up at the tomb a few days later to find an empty tomb. But my guess is, is we're going to see him in heaven, because that he saw the he saw the intersection, he saw the overlap, he saw the. Reality of Jesus, the gospel intersecting the objective reality of his life. So what do we do all with all this? How do we make this personal? Well, try this for a final thought. How about we pray a prayer of confession this week? No matter however long you want to pray it. The words aren't as important as the thought. If this is the thought of your heart. The confession could go something like this. Jesus, I know now that there is an intersection between the daily objective reality of my life and you. I've known this all along, maybe you say, if you've been a Christian a long time, but I just don't feel like I've really experienced it or I've paid attention to you enough. Something like that. So would you help me be awake to that intersection today in my life? Let me see where you're near, as Isaiah 55 says. Don't let me miss those near spots. And then thirdly, then I'll truly believe and have the eyes to see you more in my life. Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't we have stories to tell? That is how renewal gets to happen in our lives over and over again, in our families and in our relationships, and ultimately in our world. Let's thank the Lord for that. And if you want to pray that prayer, just talk to him while I'm praying this prayer. You go ahead. Or take a picture, whatever you want to do. But I just want to tell you, Lord Jesus, that I'm so thankful that you have entered our world and that you haven't gone anywhere. Forgive us for not paying attention, for letting life kind of cover it over and cover over the wonder and the miracle that it is. But Lord, would you help us of our church family to see you in our lives in those near spots on a regular basis, on a daily basis. We love you, Lord Jesus, for coming and doing all you did so that we could have that kind of eternal life with you. And I just pray that you would help that love and that knowledge of you grow and that we would see you more. Thank you for being here with us today. It's in your name we pray, amen.